What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And we got a great show for you this evening. Boy, we got a lot of stuff. We got Jerry Hughes on the show today. Uh, Mark's going to join me in just a little bit for a number of things today. We've got Bob Papa, play-by-play voice of the New York Giants, on the show today. And we got a little funky on In the Lab today. You have to stick around for that one because that got all kinds of funky. And it's a it's a typical In the Lab podcast. You're going to absolutely love it. We'll have that later in the show with myself and Drew Doherty. But we kick off each and every Wednesday show with a visit from the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Let's go. Joining us now in the Hyundai Texans radio studio, it's Texans general manager, Nick Casario. Nick, great to see you. How was the mini buy, the little break? I don't know if you took any time off. How'd you spend it? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good. It's fairly productive. Uh, I got a chance to see uh, some football on Saturday on the scouting front. Um, and then Sunday, had an opportunity to spend the day with my daughter. So uh, nice. it's kind of the best of both worlds. So worked out well. So as you're spending your day with your daughter and this just asking, are you able to completely shut off football? It is. I'm spending with my daughter, whatever's going on in football. It just can't even focus on Is it. red zone on in the background, yeah. Nick? <laughs> no, it's not. I actually was able to kind of finish up some things on the Giants on yeah. Sunday. Mm-hmm. So it takes some time in the morning, get some time with the family, and then the afternoon while they're doing some things, try to work on the Giants and just try to stay on you yeah. know on par with uh, on track with the preparation. So mm-hmm. that's what I try to do. But this is a good question. How do you keep up with the league now? How do you digest information that transpired over the course of a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, you try not to worry necessarily about what happened one particular weekend or one particular mm-hmm. game. Uh, coincidentally, the Giants are on their bye, so it wasn't as if we mm-hmm. had the opportunity to watch them. So there were other teams that were playing. Um, we're kind of working our way here through kind of the NFC East a little bit. You know, Philly uh, last Thursday, mm-hmm. Giants this weekend, Washington next weekend. So I'd say the biggest thing is just familiarizing yourself with opponents that you don't see other than maybe you know once every four years. So from that standpoint, you try to work on the Giants, finish up the Giants, and then start to, to turn the page a little bit and start to prepare a little bit for Washington this week so we can kind of stay on track. Nick, let's take one final look back at the game against the Eagles because there were some some bright moments in that particular game. You had 10 rookies that ended up playing in a game, and a lot of them did some really good things. What are your overall thoughts looking back to Thursday against the Eagles? Yeah, I'd say that game's kind of emblematic of kind of some of the things that have happened this season. Did some good things, kind of put ourselves into position in the end, just you know, wasn't enough. I'd say in the end, situationally, they had the advantage third down red area in the turnovers. So those are the areas and the plays that whoever has the advantage is a good chance at the end of the game. They're probably going to be on top of the scoreboard. So they're a good team. You know, we did some decent things offensively, ran the ball fairly well. I mean, DP had a good night. Um, you know, defensively did a good job, actually made uh, – made the quarterback a little bit uncomfortable at times. Mm. So, you know, run game kind of gave up, you know, a little bit, some yards there. So, but in the end, the situational things, the turnover, the third down to the radar, they had the advantage. And as a result, they had the advantage on, a, on the scoreboard. We had Tavier Thomas on the player's show and asked him about the rookie class. And he said in so many words, they don't seem like rookies. They seem like they're really taking to things pretty well. How would you assess the class midway through the season, Nick? Yeah, you, you try not to take a snapshot, but I'd say overall making progress um, a little bit up and down at points. There's certain things that each player can do individually to improve, whether it's their technique, whether it's a skill, whether it's their preparation, whatever that is. So from that 
perspective, I'd say the overall approach and attitude has been good. It's really more about just trying to improve some things and clean up some things so you don't have sort of, I'd say, repeat errors or repeat mistakes. So a lot of that is, is growing pains, and you're going to have the only way you learn is by doing it and then doing it on film and then seeing it and correcting it and trying to make sure that it doesn't happen again moving forward. So it's all part of the process. So I'd say overall the attitude and the effort has been pretty consistent from the beginning. I can't believe you stole my rookie question. Sorry, it's my question. <laughs> okay, rookie well, questions. I'm and sure draft you have more. Questions. I'm sure yeah. you have more rookie questions. <laughs> no, not now that you've taken that question. I'm not going to ask. I'm going to ask you about the Giants, Nick. Two parter. A. Let's dive into the Giants to see what what we have to say about them. And B. Did you do squats this morning so you can match Saquon Barkley's legs when you see him on Sunday? <laughs> my squat day is Friday, and I'd probably do a little bit less than Saquon, but. I'd say overall, I'd say Joe and Brian have done a great job of sort of implementing their program from the beginning. I think their familiarity with each other and their time in Buffalo certainly has sort of eased that transition. Uh, I'd say start at the top. You know, Brian's a really, I would say, one of the better coaches in the league. Very smart, has a background on the defensive side of the ball. That's kind of how he's trained and then kind of transitioned to, to offense. Has a lot of experience, has been in a number of different systems. I'd say some of the things that he believes in, they're representative of kind of how they play. You see that in their team. Um, and he he and Joe have a really good working relationship. They've done a good job. So, you know, Brian is the head coach and then, you know, hired Mike Kafka, who Mike played in the league. Mike's very smart, has a lot of experience, very good coach, been in a good system um, in Kansas City. Um, and then Wink has been as good a defensive coordinator as has been here for a number of years. You know, had an opportunity, you know, face their teams in, in Baltimore and say they play with a very aggressive mindset, a very aggressive mentality, probably more than any other in the league. And what they've done, they've actually combined, they've gotten good production from their rookies in addition to some of the veteran players. Um, I'd say starting defensively, um, they're really good in the running game. They're really good in the red area. And it kind of seems like each week we talk about the interior of the defensive line. And Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence has played as, as good as any defensive lineman in the league. You know, put him up there with Simmons, Hargrave, some of the, the players that we've seen here. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's long, he's very disruptive. He's really had his best year this season. Um, so they've done a good job of kind of maximizing him. I'd say Leonard's a good player. He's kind of been bothered a little bit by the knee injury, so but he's still a disruptive player. Um, KT's done a good job for them since he's kind of been in the line of miss a little bit in the preseason, missed the first couple games, but he's done a good job on the edge of the defense. And they've gotten some play out of some veterans who maybe weren't with the team, but they've brought in Jalen Smith has done a nice job for them um, on the inside part. Um, and then McFadden has kind of started to rotate in an inside linebacker. Um, in the secondary, I mean, Fabian Moreau has done a good, really good job for him. So they brought him in kind of at the uh, end of training camp, put him on a practice squad, and he's kind of emerged as their best corner. Jackson's having a good year. They've kind of rotated some players inside the formation there a little bit. Um, McKinney's going to be out, obviously, with the situation that took place here yesterday. Yep. Um, he'll be out for four games, but he's done a good job. And then Julian Love, his role is kind of increased relative to last season. Very versatile, smart, instinctive player. Um, so defensively, they've done a good job. I would say situationally, um, they're in the top. I want to say actually, they were like we're tied with the, tied for ninth in the league in turnover margin. Um, so they've forced I want to say nine fumbles, which puts them at the top of the league. They don't have as many interceptions. Um, and offensively, they kind of played to their strengths. So they've taken some of the things that Daniel does really well, which is run. Um, and he's made good decisions. He's mitigated sort of the, some of the the bad plays. He doesn't have a lot of interceptions. Saquon's a very a skilled, versatile player, does a lot of things well. I think he has combined over 1,000 yards um, between rushing and receiving. So everything kind of starts with those two players. Um, and then Andrew Thomas has played really, really well for them at left tackle. Their offensive line as a whole, I would say, has played pretty good for them. 
Um, Evan is, you know, he's been hurt here, Neil, past, you know, three to four games. But Feliciano is a player that, you know, has experience with Dayball and Buffalo with Joe, and he's done a really good job solidifying the interior of the off, of the offensive line. Um, they've gotten really good play out of Bellinger as well, a tight end. I know he got hurt against Jacksonville, kind of poked his eye or did whatever he did. And then they've kind of incorporated Wandale Robinson a little bit. So it's a combination of young, old, kind of veteran, new, and then they've really, in the end, been able to execute in the fourth quarter. They're 6-1 and one in one-score games, and in a number of those games they trailed in the fourth quarter. So I'd say they've handled a lot of the situational elements as a team. It's a very tough-minded team. They have a certain play style, certain way they want to play. So we have to be able to, to match how they're how they're going to play. Is Daniel Jones the latest good example of, hey, you never know how it's going to work out for a player over the course of a few years. It might take a few seasons for the light to really go on in a situation, too, with new staff and new, new elements. Yeah. I mean, what's happened in the past really doesn't have as much relevance. I think what they've done is kind of t- looked at Daniel and said, what are the things that he does well? Try to accentuate his strengths, which he's very deceptively athletic. He's faster than you think he is. He's stronger than you think he is. There's a lot of quarterback design runs, the zone reads, and then you combine that with Barkley. Um, and he's made good decisions. So he goes to the right spot with the ball. And I'd say that's a credit to the offensive staff for how they've handled it, from Brian to Mike, um, kind of how they've put the game plan together. And I think Daniel is a very smart kid, and he understands how they need to play, how they want him to play. And he's played smart, uh, good situational football, and he's been a factor with his legs. And then Saquon, again, has probably been as big of an impact on our offense as, as anything. So tackling will be at a premium as it's been, you know, for, for most of these games. Nick, since he's been back from missing uh, preseason, Kayvon Thibodeau, from the time you saw him in college till now, about you know, a year span, what have you seen in him and what kind of problems does he present on the edge? Yeah, I'd say his effort and his overall playing style is very good. He's he's very tough. Um, he runs really well. I mean, the play that he had against ETN, chasing him 45, yeah, 50 yeah. yards down the field. You're talking about a guy 6'4", 255, 260 that chased the you know, back 4-3 or whatever ETN runs down the field. So he's played well. He's kind of transitioned to playing more exclusively from a two-point stance because they're really more of a 30-front team, more two outside linebackers, two end-of-line-of-scrimmage players. So he's got good length. He's got good playing strength. He's got good toughness. Um, and he's transitioned well to to Wink's scheme and kind of how they're trying to play. So Kayvon was a good player at Oregon. He's been a productive player to this point. So, you know, it's no surprise that he's played, you know, he's played well. Nick, back to your young players. The record isn't what you want it to be at all. And how does that affect them? How important is it to keep a positive atmosphere, positive culture going around them as they continue to play through the season? Yeah, really, you want to take it one week at a time. So that's what this league is about. So you try to look at the week and what do you have to do that week in order to prepare, um, in order to get ready to play the next opponent. So I think just understanding the week-to-week nature of it and how each week, whatever happened last week in the end, doesn't have necessarily relevance understanding what happened, understand the why behind it, and just try to make some progress, understanding that you're going to go through some ups and downs. Like we've played eight games. We have another nine remaining. Then you tack on the four, the three preseason games. So these players have played 11 games. So they already played a full college season and we don't even have, we have half the season remaining. So I would say a certain level of stick to certain level of discipline to stay in your routine and just stay committed to what you need to do on a week to week basis. And really just understand the opponent, who you're playing and it's a very personnel-driven league. So understanding Wandale Robinson versus Chris Slayton versus you know whoever the different 
receivers are, the different offensive linemen that you're going to face. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How do you exploit those? Because in the end, that's what it's going to come down to. And the better you understand that, and that's what you have to focus on and not necessarily get caught up in what's the record, what are the standings. Like, we can't control that. We can control what we can control, which is our performance, is how we prepare. And the record is what the record is, but ultimately you have to focus on that week and just kind of going through your process and get ready to play on Sunday against a good Giants team. Nick, I happened to see this article, and I didn't read it. I just saw the headline, and I thought it would be a good question to ask you just your opinion on. Somebody had written about the, the trade deadline being later in the year, like week 11, week 12. Like you just said, we've played eight games, and the trade deadline was last week, and we still have nine games left to go, and most teams have nine games left to go. Would it behoove the NFL to move the trade deadline a little bit later? Would you like to see a little bit later? Or is that just like a case-by-case basis, like year-to-year? Like, well, some years I'd want it earlier, some years I'd want it later. Yeah, I think the NFL has done a good job of looking at some different policies or different um, you know, things that we can do maybe a little bit differently or the timing element involved. So if there's any merit to doing that. So I think whatever it is, you're prepared for if it's a week later, then you're prepared for a week later. It doesn't necessarily change anything materially. Each team has to look at their team, look at their composition. Like the thing that was unique this year, there was more activity this year than there was at any other point. So I'd say that doesn't necessarily mean anything or is that going to be a trend moving forward? A lot of trades, even, you know, going to the draft and even during the offseason, they're all player driven. So you don't necessarily know how it's going to go. You could think you're going to trade or want to trade or do something. But in the end, if it doesn't materialize, then okay, there's no trade. and Then you move on. So. I think the league will look at it if it makes sense, um, you know, moving it, then they'll do it. If it doesn't, then we'll kind of keep it where it is. But, you know, in the end, I mean, you just have to be prepared. Just try to make good decisions for your team with your roster, whatever it is. A couple of other notes from the Philadelphia game. You're coming off the loss to Tennessee, tough loss. And it seemed like the guys really rallied together, particularly early, trying to find a way to move the football. They did tied at the half, 14-14. You hit Couturiano's first catch, and Chris Moore's another touchdown pass. What about the way they came together in the first half overall, Nick? Yeah, the players and the staff did a really good job of getting ready to play. So anytime you have that short uh, turnaround, a quick turnaround, it's it's taxing. It's mentally and physically taxing. But players had a good attitude. The coaches made sure the players that were prepared were able to get off to a good start. There was a certain energy that was involved playing Thursday night. You're playing you know, the best team in the league on prime time so everybody knows that you know you're playing you're the only game in yeah. town so to speak other than the Astros um <laughs> but so they came out with good energy or as a team we came out with good energy we were just able to sustain it completely until the end but overall the players and the coaches did a really good job of getting ready to play um and we were able to see some things early early in the game Nick as we get near closer to the end of the college football season how does it kind of how does it kind of change for your college scouts and what's kind of the the program from from here until we get to the senior bowl and those uh, all-star games at the end yeah no it's a really good question we're kind of winding down here you really have a kind of a handful of weeks left in college football i mean realistically kind of thanksgiving weekend is sort of the end you'll have another game the following week and then you have the conference championships and then you're really into bowl season so um, our staff's done a really good job a lot of scouts uh, matter of fact just kind of going through my notes uh, from yesterday some of the reports that have come in it's kind of second time through third time through you're kind of seeing players seeing any anything that's changed any upgrades any downgrades so i'd say we've seen a lot of players we have a lot of information on those players now it's starting to fine-tune that and in december we'll kind of have the first initial run through maybe identify some needs not necessarily grades but some needs or here are some of the things that you know we're going to have to see if we can find more information out about over the next however many months and weeks um and then once the kind of the, the season is over then you'll have an idea of who's going to attend East-West, who's going to attend the Senior Bowl, and yep. kind of start to prepare for that. And then you have the underclassmen, which they'll make a declaration by 
the middle of January relative to their eligibility. So we're winding down. Um, there's still a lot of information that's available. You maybe have a player didn't play earlier in the year that's back on the field. So you can kind of see how he's played. Vice versa, you've had some guys who have kind of been hurt all year, and it might be done for the rest of the year. So, all right, that's all the information that we have. All right, kind of transition to the next uh, evaluation stage. Does it translate, and I want to ask this in a variety of ways, guys who come up big in big games on the college level, does that translate sometimes? And how do you rate that? They got a check mark because they're big-time players in big-time situations. No, it's a good question, Mark. I'd say you're looking at – and in college, at times, there isn't a lot of a situational football, I'd say, just because of the way that it's played. But, mm. okay, their production relative to the opponent. So when you see them against, I know we kind of joke about the SEC, but each week you're seeing them play against the best players. And when you look at even you know back to Tennessee's defense, they have, I don't know, five or six guys that played in the SEC. You know, we have a number of guys that played in the SEC. You know, that's the best competition. It doesn't mean that there's not a lot of other great programs out there, which there is. But how the player performs maybe against the best competition in a critical situation doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate over. Not necessarily, but it's just kind of, to your point, we can grade it accordingly. Okay, how they played against this team, the game grade against, in, you know, against this team in this game was this. Mm-hmm. All right, how they played against maybe a player on the other side of the ball, how they fared against them, because ultimately that's representative of what they're going to see on a week-to-week basis. So it's all part of the evaluation. You don't, I'd say, minimize or put more importance on it. It's a, certainly a part of the equation. Um, and then if you have a question, you're ultimately going to go back and say, all right, let's see how they played against the best people and the best players and how do they perform. And then if you see that over a course of time, they have a track record of performance. Okay, that's a good telltale sign of, all right, the expectation is that guy's going to be able to come in and perform at a certain level if he's given the opportunities. Nick, when it, as it pertains to underclassmen, you said something to me that, that's always been interesting. They have until middle January to make a decision. Is it important to have sort of an idea of what that player is considering so that you can see him on campus, maybe ask questions and do some of those things? You can always do it after the fact, but is it important to track that beforehand or do you just say, hey, look, underclassmen, we kind of got our eye on, but you know, really we just... January 15th or whatever the day is, we'll just find out then and we'll go from there. No, it's a good point. I mean, you do your legwork ahead of time, and I'd say what you find is you step on campus. Some uh, programs and some people, they're more inclined to talk about certain players with the understanding, okay, there's a good chance this player is probably going to make himself eligible at the end of the year. So you want to be respectful of the colleges. You don't want to assume anything. So, you know, you don't want to do anything because the relationship we have a lot of schools between the NFL and the NCAA, we have a good relationship. So you don't want to do anything that sort of, you know, affects that relationship. So you want to be smart about how you approach it. We can evaluate as many players as we want, you know, because we watch them play. And then once you get on campus, when you get in a situation where the liaison sits with a group and he might say, hey, you know what, there's a good chance this player is probably going to declare and they might be more inclined. You find some schools are maybe more apt to talk about them. Other, it's kind of more taboo. So whatever it is, okay, we're not going to try to make it up. We'll try to do our, do- our job, do our due diligence, be prepared. And whichever way it goes, all right, if he decides to go back to school, no problem. Then we have our evaluation from the 22 season, and then we're going to build on the 23 season. If he makes a decision that he wants to declare, then we've done the work. All right. And then the evaluation is done from a playing standpoint. Now we have to look into and drill down some of the things more on a personal level, which you really don't have the opportunity to do until call it February and March. 
One more for you. Is there extra juice in going to New York? You see the Manhattan skyline right there. I know we're in New Jersey, but it's right there. It, does it give you a little extra in the game? Yeah, it's a great place to play um, at Life Stadium. I mean, it's funny. Not too many stadiums where you have two teams. That's their mm-hmm. their home stadium. So they share it, the Jets and the Giants. So they'll make everything blue and white. Yep. They'll move away from uh, some green and you know whatever colors the Jets are wearing these days. I mean, it's hard yeah. to say. So um, it's a good opportunity playing outdoors, which will be something we haven't done here you know, since. Mm. Jacksonville, but different environment. So the elements don't look like they'll be that big of a factor. Um, going to the East Coast, you know, kind of, you know, losing an hour or kind of moving ahead an hour, whatever that is. So playing midday, one o'clock, it'll be a nice fall day and hopefully we can go out there and play good football against a good team. Nick, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thanks, guys. I'm still a little ticked off. Mark stole my rookie slash draft question from Nick. That's that's my role. That's my role. But I get it. It was a good question. As always, and great stuff there from Nick Casario. Speaking of Mark, he's going to stick with me next. We have not opined, I think, together on the Jeff Saturday as interim head coach in Indianapolis situation. We'll do that next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. We're getting ready to take on the G-Men, the New York Giants in New Jersey, which, of course, is the fallacy. You play New York, but you play in New Jersey. So there you go. I'm John Harris alongside Mark Vandermeer. Mark, we, I don't think, have had a ton of opportunity to discuss this whole thing that's going on with Indianapolis a few days after the fact. Indianapolis Colts fire Frank Reich. I think we talked about the Frank Reich side of things. Yeah. But the Jeff Saturday side of things, as the new interim head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. I know we haven't talked about this part because at press conference, I think at the same time that we were doing uh, Coach Lovey's show on Monday night, your gut reaction to Saturday becoming the interim head coach in Indianapolis? Well, my gut, and I think we did discuss some of this. My gut reaction is what? Yeah. That's my gut reaction because he's in broadcasting. I'm sure when he got the phone call, he admitted he was totally shocked, surprised, whatever. And maybe he wants to get into NFL coaching. But, Johnny, I have this thought about people who want to get into coaching mm-hmm. that maybe they should, I don't know, coach. <laughs> Maybe you should explore the possibility of taking a job in the NFL or college or some high level of coaching if you have the credentials, especially because Jeff Saturday has the credentials to be assistant O-line coach someplace or offensive assistant someplace. Who wouldn't want Saturday in their building? And I'll say the same thing about Josh McCown, right? Josh McCown certainly has the credentials to be assistant quarterbacks coach somewhere or quarterbacks coach or offensive assistant or something like that where he could get experience, both guys, get experience, and then when there is an opportunity for advancement, I don't know about head coach advancement, but advancement nonetheless, you can jump up. Now, it is a slap of the face to everybody who spends time in coaching, especially in that building, because there are numerous people on that staff who could have taken over. And we mentioned one of them, Reggie Wayne, right there. Right there. Reggie Wayne is right in front of you, Bubba Ventrone. Look, Gus Bradley has done it. And I'm not saying he's the best option necessarily, but he's done it. He's actually done it. You could ride out the season. Now, I salute her at the same time also for thinking out of the box, but this is the kind of out of the box that has, look, how much more of a disaster could it be? I was going to say it has disaster written all over it. It's the out of the box that might not be the good kind of out of the box, right? Maybe try it in the offseason or something really wild and different in the offseason as opposed to now. I think one of the things uh – and it's interesting because this happens with a, it happens with a lot of players. 
Oh, I think that guy would be really great in the media. Oh, I think that guy would be a really great coach. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think that guy could rise up the ranks and be a great scout and maybe a GM down the road. We say that about about players a lot of times because they exhibit those qualities. Like, you know, there's a guy that, you know, in the locker room that is loquacious and very outgoing and really um, answers questions thoughtfully and honestly. Boy, he could be really he could be really good in the media. And we have seen a lot of athletes get into the media. We've seen a lot of them get into coaching, a lot of them get into scouting, etc. But there are also a large number of them that get in it and go whoa, I thought all I had to do was just talk. Or I thought coaching's easy. I just drop the X's and O's and give them the plays yeah, and away you yeah. go. And, you know, scouting, I just pick a player here and a player there. And, and, and they don't realize, man, there is some laborious work that goes into this. It about- is laborious. And it's. I remember when I first got in, into radio, you think about doing radio, I've thought about doing it for a long time. I'd see my friends do it. I saw you do it. I heard a lot of people do it. Then you do your first four-hour show, mm. and you're like, mm. oh, man, that was great. And you're, ex- I was exhausted. Yeah. And guess what? That's a Monday. Yep. Get ready because you got four more the rest of the week. Oh, yeah. And you're like, wow, man, there's a lot of work that goes into this. And it's the same, same for coaching. Everybody that walks into this stadium on Thursday night, just take Thursday night, for instance, every single one of them, Oh, I could call that play, or I could call this play, and you have no idea what goes into it. Sure. None. And even former players don't really, truly know until they get into it. And so Jeff Saturday is going to find out, holy smokes, there is a lot that goes into it. And you find out, do I want this? Do I not? Do I want to pursue this? Is Indianapolis going to give him the opportunity to be the permanent head coach going forward, depending on what happens? I don't I don't see it happening, but... But I don't know. But that's the one thing that that strikes me about this. Ah, what's coaching? And I'm and I'm sure that, as Jim Mercer said, you know, he's seen a lot of great head coaches. He's never uh, hired a bad or a losing head coach. But there are always some coaches that you're like, mm, that guy doesn't quite have it. You know, he was good with players, but there's so many other aspects that go into it. Um, and how Jeff Saturday is going to be is going to be really interesting. Look, he might be great, but he needs work, right? Yes. This is hard to do on the fly, on the job training. And they fired the coordinator yes. the week before. Oh. So now you don't have anybody to call plays except Parks Frazier. Right. And Johnny, I'm going to say this. The Saturday cam is going to be must-see TV for no people, doubt. right? No doubt. But the Parks Frazier cam might even be better. Because if you focus it on Parks Frazier, who has never called plays, and he's got Sam Ellinger to call plays for, this is going to be interesting. If I were him, I would take that Denny's menu and shrink it down to an index card and go Coach Boone from Remember the Titans. We're going to run five plays, and we're going to master them, and we're going to spend the rest of the week in practice mastering five plays. It is not important for Parks to show how much he knows yeah. It is important that the offense moves the football. Yeah. And that's what's luck. most important for him. And that's what gets lost on on everybody, actually, until you do it. You want to have the best ball play. You want to call the coolest ball plays. And then you realize, I don't really care about that. Are we moving the football? And that's really when I when I got to a point where I was calling plays and really was getting in a groove, that was what was happening. It was like I got this whole I did the same th- the same thing you just talked about. I had a manila folder filled both front and back with all these great plays that I had seen other people run. 
And we couldn't run 80% of them. So I'm like, well, let's take the 80% off and see what we got. Yeah. And then once we get those down, let's have a little, you know, a few wrinkles. Now, that's high school versus NFL. I get that. But it's the same philosophy of sure. you got to call what works. Nobody's going to care about, man, that was a really cool scheme. That was awesome. It's not going to matter. Because if that play results in a yard, who cares? It's Nobody's going to care. As you were talking about jobs that everyone thinks they can do until they do them, talk radio is a great example. Perfect. And yep. I always tell people this, and people can try this themselves, by the way, listening right now. You're thinking, I want to do that. Look, that's how I got into the business. Yeah. I listened to sports talk radio and said, I want to get on the air and do that. And I found a way to do it. That's another story for another day. But try this in your cars, folks. You think you have hot takes? Okay, Look at your clock, set it for three to five minutes. Make give give yourself a time limit. Let's say it's three minutes. You're gonna talk for three minutes straight by yourself about a topic and you're live. No starting over, right. no stopping and restarting. Just go. You are live. Hit it three minutes consecutively. See what you can do. And you'll learn very quickly how difficult it is just doing it in your car by yep. yourself. Because Absolutely. at about 1.30, you'll be like, I think I'm out of material now. You know, And you probably do have a lot, of, a lot of takes. Maybe they're really good takes. Maybe they're excellent takes. But you could be out of juice within five minutes. That's why some callers are excellent for two, three minutes. But you put them on for four hours, and it's like, uh, when's dinner? So it's very difficult. It's much more difficult than people realize to do that. How much you want to bet? First drive of the game, and they play the Raiders. They're out in Las Vegas. How much you want to bet first drive of the game that they face a fourth and one? Ooh, and what do they do? Exactly. Saturday said that he's no, going to take points. Saturday said, nah, I'm not so much in the analytics. I face fourth down. I'm going to kick a field goal and take the, the points yeah, and all well, that. If you're at the 37-yard line of the opponent, Okay, you're in no man's land. Right. Too long for a field. Even, let's make it a little bit more interesting. Exactly. You're at the 35. Right. Okay, it's going to be a 53-yarder. I promise you this happens be in the first. Or you go for it fourth and one. You're not right. going to punt from the 35, 36-yard line. What are you going to do, Jeff? Right. And so, I guarantee it's happening within the first two drives of the game. Mm -hmm. He's going to have one of those situations. And he's going to have to make that particular decision. And even as a non-play caller on either side of the ball as a head coach. There's so many different things that are going on. How much do you chime in on the offensive channel when they're talking about plays? How much do you listen in on the defensive channel and chime in there? What do you do on fourth down? All these things that he's going to have to work out for himself. And how he viewed it as a center, as a player – is going to be different than how he's looking at it now. He doesn't have Peyton Manning back there to go, hey, Peyton, let's just run this, or let's throw this, or hey, let's, throw out the, let's throw out the Marvin. Hey, Marvin's out there. Let's give it to Edge. It, it doesn't quite work work <laughs> that way. Marvin. Uh, let's throw to Marvin. Let's throw to Marvin. So I'm curious, but I guarantee you within the first two drives of the game, he'll be forced with a fourth and one. I'll give you another one. Guaranteed. Give me the over-under on how many delay of games and or oh. got to call a timeout with the play clock running down situations they have. So both count as the same. Yep. How many of those do they have throughout the course of a game? They'll have a couple, but I would imagine that if there is one thing that Saturday is telling his young offensive coordinator doing it for the first time, get the play called no matter what. Get in the play. In fact, no matter that would be is. something that I would suggest to every offensive play call. I don't know how, how long you've been in it. Get the play call 
to your guy with 20 seconds. I'm sorry. Get them out of the huddle with 20 seconds at a minimum yeah. left on the clock. Yep. We we started playing with fire a little bit with the with the Eagles. We were getting out of the huddle at 12, 11 seconds. That's got to get to your quarterback and out there so you can see what you're looking at. If you got motions or shifts or whatever you got going, you've got to get them out of the huddle. Get them out of the huddle and go. And that's I would imagine that number is going to be relatively low. That's going to be one of the things. If I'm Saturday, it's one of the first things. Look, here's your time frame. Get the play called immediately. Get them to the line of scrimmage. Even if at the line of scrimmage, you got until 15 seconds on the coach com, right? If you get them to the line of scrimmage with 28 seconds left, you still have 13 seconds for you to look at it and then tell Sam, hey, change this play to this. Then the com, coach com goes off. You still have time to get everybody adjusted and shifted as they what would. What if they win? <laughs> you know, look, they're playing the Raiders. The, the Raiders Col- are a damaged team. The way the Colts win, and I, and I don't know if Jonathan Taylor will play. That'll be that'll be the way they win, is if they're able to to ride Jonathan Taylor. Because without Taylor, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to have to rely on Sam Ellinger. So from the Raiders, I'm playing nine guys in the box, and like I'm daring him to throw. I am daring him to throw. But if they have Taylor, they got a shot. When they have Taylor, they have a shot. But you're right. What if they What if they win? The worst thing about all of this is with the Colts going through this, and this is bad for them. You know, say what you will, Jim Ursay. Look, they've had a tremendous run with Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck a little bit. They were even holding it together with Jacoby Brissett. Right. Holding it together a little bit. They yeah. went to the playoffs with Phillip Rivers. They were within a game of making the playoffs last year, and now look where they are. And I don't know what it's going to turn out to be for them. And the Texans will finish up the regular season up there in January. So I'm really looking forward to that one as much as ever to see how you can how they'll look at that time and what the Texans are going to look like at that time. But the fact that the Texans are struggling even more record-wise than the Colts just it's it's a hard pill to swallow right now, but I know they're in different stages of development, obviously. No doubt. And I've, what I find interesting, it the Colts have been struggling to find that quarterback, and obviously Matt Ryan. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about whether uh, you know Chris Ballard or Frank Reich pulled the trigger on Matt Ryan. That was a Jim Irsay call. Most people signed up for it, Johnny. Most of the pundits no 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 signed no, no. up for Matt no, Ryan. No. They were like, okay, no, I'm not talking about. I I don't. I think if Matt if they if they allowed Matt Ryan to play, I still think they could get to eight wins. Oh, really? Okay. I still think they could get to eight wins. Now, if they get Taylor healthy and Matt Ryan were back, I still think they could get to eight wins, but they're not going to play Matt Ryan. And that was not that was not Ballard or Reich's so, call. All right. I thought that you were was, going down a road of no, 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 no. no I, shouldn't I don't, have gotten them. No, I don't think going out and getting Matt Ryan was a, was a bad move, actually. I think it made sense. It made sense. I, I, I 2020 hindsight. I think the issue is if Matt Ryan were still playing, I still think they would be competitive. But for some reason, they were instructed not to play Matt Ryan to go with Ellinger, and, and away you go. Now, going with Ryan into next year is not – you're not no, going to do that. Of course but, not. But, but let, let me ask you one more thing before you make your other point. Let's rewind a bit here. Off season, you're the Colts. Mm-hmm. Do you go get Garoppolo? I'm, I'm telling you right now, Matt Ryan's not going to work. We can't get him. or he's not. It's not going to happen for whatever reason. Would Garoppolo be an option for the Colts? Yes. Remember when Baker Mayfield was on at if least I, the national media's radar right, right. for the Colts? But I don't know what it costs you to get Garoppolo. What are they going to give him up for? Yeah, I think he probably could have got him for a little less than Matt Ryan, actually. But I, but I don't know. But you didn't know at that time, and this is where the Colts were, you didn't know whether Jimmy was going to come back fully and completely healthy. Right. You thought he might. 
But I think Garoppolo would to back him up. And Garoppolo would have given you a better chance. You know why? Because Jimmy could move. And that offensive line is not playing extremely well. Yeah. Even Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly are not playing extremely well. Uh, and we saw it in week one. We're like, wait a second. This offensive line is playing a lot better than they're playing right now. And they've never had the left tackle answered after Costanzo left. Right. That, to me, everybody talks about Andrew Luck retiring, Andrew Luck retiring, and for good reason. But they never replaced uh, Costanzo. Now, they drafted Bernard Ryman out of uh, in Central Michigan. He's not ready. He was not. He's not ready. He needed to sit for at least a year and get to a point where he could be ready. He wasn't ready. So the offensive line has not played extremely well. So Jimmy gives him a chance because Jimmy can at least get out of dodge. He could scramble and make some things happen, whereas Matt is not. That's not his. That's not his ballywick. So would I have done it if I knew or felt good about Jimmy's rehab? Like, okay, I think he can make it back by week one. I would have done that. If, you, if you're telling me Matt Ryan would, I still think Matt Ryan for them has not played extremely well. But if you would have let Matt Ryan just keep going, get Jonathan Taylor back, I think they still would have gotten to seven, eight wins. And maybe that's where they don't want to be. Maybe they either want to be in the playoff hunt or they want to suck. Either way, one or the other. Okay, maybe they're in seven, eight win land, which is not where they want to be because now they're just back in mediocre land. I don't know. Um, but for some reason, they were instructed Matt Ryan's not going to be the quarterback. So here's the okay. thing about them, though. They've been to mediocre land before, and they've come out of it with a really good team, yeah. at least on paper or right. a playoff team. And it was a team that a lot of people projected should do great things right. as long as they get that quarterback position solidified. Because they went through Chuck Pagano 8-8 eight and eight a couple of years yeah. in a row and had to fight to get there. And Look, the, I thought those were pretty decent coaching jobs by Chuck considering right. what they did or did not have a Those Colts teams did not have talent like these Colts. This, this Colts yeah. team. And again, Shaquille Leonard has played a lot because he's been banged up. Jonathan Taylor has missed a lot of this season, and those are two of the best players they have. And you can't take advantage of it. That's the thing. It's funny because uh, uh, people were talking to me about the Colts and I forget where I was, but I was saying, yeah, they're the all-time nemesis because as bad as it is for them right now, they haven't won this division since 2014, wow. which is incredible to think about. Wow. But as bad as it is for them right now, you still have that terrible record against them. Nine 31 and one, right? Is that what it is now? Yeah. And 32, if you count the playoff loss, but whatever the case is and Tennessee right now, they're sort of the class of the AFC South, you beat them last year when right. you were almost the worst version of yourselves. You came away with a victory in Nashville. Mm -hmm. You can beat those guys. Yeah. But for some reason, the Colts have that hex on the Texans, and you got to find a way to reverse the curse. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, obviously, what happens with the Colts. And, you know, if they continue to, to bottom out, top five pick, they get a quarterback. We'll see where they pick the right quarterback. I know, I know. When Ballard went to the Colts, he was looking for a place that had a quarterback. And with Andrew Luck there, it was set up. It, oh, yeah. it was set up to – to. I mean, after the 2018 season, I thought these guys are going to be really, really difficult to beat. It, and, it, you know, for Ballard at the time when McDaniels bowed out, he yeah. thought, okay, Frank Reich comes in. They go to the playoffs. Everything's looking good. They beat the Texans here. Yep. And everyone says, you dodged that Josh McDaniels bullet. Here they are today, a few years later. It's amazing. And look, it could have happened to the Titans, too. Things, Derrick Henry could have gotten hurt. Right. Oh, my gosh, the quarterback situation's iffy at best. Man, I think if they had healthy Tannehill yet, right now, they're winning at Kansas City on Sunday night. And yet, Henry got hurt last year, and they still won without him. And they had they the were the no number one overall AFC 
team. Because they are handling things well right. as an organization, and that's where you want to be right now, Good handling point. things well. And I think the Texans are set up well, but they're behind them in development. Mark, thank you very much. Thanks, Johnny. All right, coming up, let's go around the league and talk about things happening with all 32 teams next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Let's go around the NFL and start in Buffalo, where, oh boy, if you have Josh Allen on your fantasy team, this is a wait-and-see situation with Josh and his elbow. If you missed it against the Jets, he made a throw, and after the throw, he reached immediately for his elbow. Now, he ended up making a throw way down the field, I think, after that. Well, apparently it's an elbow sprain of the UCL. Now, you hear a lot of that, I guess, in baseball. But Sean McDermott, Buffalo coach, said he's day-to-day. Will he play this weekend against the Vikings? How about that? That's a heck of a matchup. Sean McDermott said we'll see whether he is there. So, if you have Josh Allen on your fantasy team, Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills quarterback, not Jacksonville Jaguars, Ed Rusher, Josh Allen. But if you got Josh Allen... Keep an eye on him. Case Keenum took snaps today in practice. Throwing to Stephon Diggs, both members of the Vikings for the Minneapolis Miracle back in 2017. So, Josh Allen, keep an eye on that one. Russell Wilson, really clapped back a little bit. Pete Carroll on 7-10 in Seattle had mentioned that they didn't use the wristband Back when a certain quarterback was there because it was not comfortable, didn't like it. Geno Smith has been using it, and it's really helped in Pete Carroll's mind. Well, Russell Wilson clapped back and said, I don't know exactly what he said, but we won a lot of games without one on the wrist. So, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks, Russ, uh, Pete Carroll clapping back at one another. I kind of like it a little bit. I kind of like it. Seems like Pete Carroll's a great guy. Russell Wilson's a great guy. Uh, but they're snapping at each other a little bit. I thought Pete Carroll's comments more about not so much the wristband, but the fact that his offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, calls a play. Geno Smith, his quarterback, takes it. They go run it. There's no barking back at each other. There is no pushing back. It is, here's the play, here's what we're going to run, and we're going to run it. That I thought was a little more damning about Russell Wilson, but either way, play the headlines for for what they are. But Russell Wilson has not... I've uh, been back on the field since they went to London, so we'll see what the Broncos have. But he did clap back today at Pete Carroll about that. Your Thursday night game is Atlanta v. Carolina. And Carolina is going to be wearing the black, all black, all black unis in that one. So uh, it's weird because the NFC South, nobody's out of it. Nobody. Atlanta Falcons are 4-5, and five, and they're tied with the Bucks at 4-5 and five atop the division. They're not out of it. Carolina's not out of it. Two and seven. In fact, had Carolina beaten Atlanta uh, two weeks ago, Carolina would have been in first place in the AFC South or the NFC South. So it's kind of crazy division. But that game will be on Thursday. Atlanta taking on Carolina. But our game is Sunday against the New York Giants. And the two men making the call: Mark Vandermeer and Bob Papa get together with the little men behind the mics next, right here at Texas All Access. Oh, yeah, we got one hour down and one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, and I have the pleasure of each and every Sunday having Mark Vandermeer and good friend Andre Ware both in my ears the entire 
time. Well, I know Giants fans have been listening to our next guest for a long time, and that's Bob Poppy. You hear him on SiriusXM sometimes in the morning, but you hear him calling Giants game, and that voice is just so recognizable with Giants football. And when it's men behind the mic's time, I love it. Mark with Bob Papa of the New York Giants. Bob, how's it going? Great season for you so far. Yeah, it's been a surprise, Mark. Great to be on with you. Um, you know, I don't think any Giants fan, I don't think there's people in the building that thought this team would be 6-2 and two, uh, coming out of the bye, but that's where they stand, and uh, they've actually put themselves in position here to maybe even make the playoffs. Well, yeah, let's talk about what's going right. Saquon Barkley has to jump out first, or is it the play of Daniel Jones? I know the coaching staff's making a huge difference, but can you rank these things in order as to what the difference is for the New York Giants in 2022? You have to start with Saquon Barkley. And, you know, we noticed in camp, during training camp practices, he was a lot more physical. And uh, Carl Banks and I, who, you know, do a lot of work with the head coach on the various radio and TV platforms, you know, we were asking him one day in camp. And he said, you know, one of the things that we stress to Saquon is, you know, take the dirty two. Take the dirty two, take the dirty three, meaning, you know, if there's nothing really there, don't try to hit a home run, keep us on schedule, and two or three yards on first down is not a bad thing. Two or three yards on second down is not a bad thing. It keeps us on schedule to then be able to function as an offense because they don't have tremendous playmakers. Um, and they, they told Barkley, and they promised them, they said, Saquon, if you just keep taking the dirty two at some point during the game, one's going to pop and you're going to have a big play. And that's happened just about every single week. Uh, that's tremendous. And that's great advice. Even for quarterbacks, take the pocket change, the four or five yard pass from time to time. What's the difference with Daniel Jones as you see it through half the season? Well, first of all, Barkley being healthy and then a coaching staff that knows how to use him uh, and has coached him really well. He, he's picked up this new offense. He's picked up this scheme. He's getting better and better on it. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of false narratives out there about Daniel Jones. Obviously, his legs and his athleticism are very key components to what he can do on the football field. But his decision making, I know privately, uh, the head coach and, and this entire football staff has been very impressed with Daniel Jones and his ability to make good decisions. You know, you, you put on ESPN or you put on NFL Network and you have, you know, former players showing video, showing coaches tape, and they're like, you know, Daniel Jones has to be better with his eye discipline. There's guys running open, and he's not seeing him. He's taking the check down. Well, other than the fourth quarter of the Seattle game last week where he didn't see the field well, he's actually seen the field great. And as Dable said to me, he said, you know, I said to him, I said, Coach, you know, early in the year, I said, man, it looks like there was a little bit more left on the bone there that you guys could have gotten. And he's like, oh, because you sound just like my family. He goes, you know some of those guys that are running open that everybody's talking about that Daniel's missing? I said, yeah. He goes, well, how about the fact that those guys were running wrong routes and they weren't even supposed to be in the window? So how does he know if the guy's going to continue on a deep over or a shallow cross or if he's going to just stop and sit down when he's running the wrong damn route? So Daniel Jones has done a lot better than his passing numbers and what the outside world may evaluate him with. Bob Papa, voice of the New York Giants, with us on Texans Radio. What about Dable? What's he like to be around since you've seen him come into the building? He's authentic. He's real. He cares. He spends a lot of time in the cafeteria at lunchtime. Um, you know, he'll sit with 
players or he'll sit with some of his staff members or front office people or, you know, John Mara or the Mara family that's there. But then other times he'll walk into the cafeteria with his plate of food and he'll sit with the marketing department or he'll sit with the broadcast production crew or he'll sit with digital content or he'll sit with, uh, you know, salespeople. Um, and he's really made it a point of trying to get to know what everybody does in the building, getting to know everybody by name and making everybody understand that we're all in this together. Even if you don't necessarily touch football, you're part of the same organization that's trying to win. And he's just a regular guy Uh, to his credit for a guy that's worked as long as he did under Belichick and as long, you know, he worked the one year with Saban, but that's like working with Belichick. Um, He has not tried to become Belichick or Saban like so many of the other disciples that suddenly put on the I'm Bill Belichick or I'm Bill Parcells act without the resume to be that guy. Dave's is just Dave's. He wants you to call him Dave's. He can't stand it when you call him Coach Dable. It's like, dude, I'm Dave's. Okay. And that's it. And that permeates not only throughout the locker room, but throughout the organization. I got to think having Wink Martindale around is one of the smartest hires because he takes care of the defense, right? Dable doesn't have to worry about it. How do you see it? Well, I think that's the other, you know, uh, a veteran head coach told me once a long time ago, you're only as good as your staff. And if you're a young coach, when they would mentor young head coaches, their biggest advice would be don't be scared to hire people that are big personalities that are veteran coaches because too many times young coaches don't want to bring in those guys because they're scared that they're basically hiring a ready-made replacement. If you fail, Sean McVay did a great job with the Rams when he first got the job. What did he do? He hired Wade Phillips, a veteran proven defensive coordinator, run his defense. Dable didn't even know Wink Martindale. They had no, they had their paths had never crossed. Uh, But Dable said, look, In all my years as a play caller, his defense gave me the biggest fits. Let me find out what he's all about. And he's brought in people within the organization that are not just robots from the Belichick camp or from this camp, and they just parrot the same stuff. He's brought in people with different ideas, like his offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, who comes from the Andy Reid tree. You know, so they they kind of sprinkle things around a little bit, so it's more of an open think tank. Boy, that sounds good. That sounds really interesting. Uh, Lovey Smith has been talking about the fact that the Giants are going to blitz the Texans more than any other team. How blitz-heavy and blitz-happy have they been so far? Is that a key factor in their success? Uh, it has been, but Wink Martindale uh, sometimes will not blitz a lot. You know, I, I think we all know that when you go against the veteran upper-tier quarterbacks, the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, the Drew Breeses of the world, you know, if you blitz blitz them like crazy, they're going to eat you alive because they can read it, they can see it, they've been there, done that, they know what's coming, they know how to handle it. Um, Now, Wink will dial up a blitz at the right time like he did against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in London, and he'll he'll pick his spots. but there's a lot of other times where they're going to just play coverage and they're going to try to create ways with just five to get to the quarterback. Um, but I think in this case, you know, like with a young quarterback like Davis Mills, um, yeah, I think he's going to throw a lot of exotic looks at him and, and try to confuse him. 
All right, let me go a little history with you here, Bob. Bob Papa, voice of the Giants with us on Texans Radio. More beloved former Giants quarterback, Eli Manning or Phil Simms? What do you got? That's an age thing, man. That is clearly an age thing. I think if you're if you're of a certain age, there 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 are some that will never move off Phil Simms. I mean, look, if you ask my dad, he's going to tell you why a tittle. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> You know, it it, it, it kind of goes by generation. Um, they were both great in their own right. They were both phenomenal players. Eli's going to get in the Hall of Fame someday, although I doubt he'll be a first ballot. Um, and Phil Simms should probably be in the Hall of Fame, but he won't. But I think, you know, no matter how you slice it, you can't go wrong having those two quarterbacks as part of your franchise history. All right, let me stir up a rivalry here. You went to Fordham. So Fordham sports announcers versus Syracuse sports announcers. You tell me who's better. Go ahead. Start it off, Bob. Oh, come on. It's Fordham. I mean, listen, <laughs> Syracuse Syracuse has a great history with my mentor, Marty Glickman and Marv Albert and all the, the guys that are doing tremendous work now, Tarico, Ian Eagle, and so on and so forth. But, you know, Fordham – you know, we got Vince Scully, we got Charles Osgood when you go to the news side of things, and then you got Mike Breen and Michael Kay and Chris Carino with the Nets and Spiro Ditas and Tony Reale of, uh, you know, ESPN with, uh, you know, the game show. And there's a lot of us out there. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be partial and go with Fordham. All right. Very nice. Bob Papa joining us. Now you've called boxing, golf. You've done it all, Bob. Tell me what's difficult about calling boxing you got to remember you're doing TV, right? And then you pick your spot when you get into the heavy play-by-play, but like you don't have to call every jab. You don't have to call every right hand that gets missed or blocked or whatever, because guess what? Two people in the ring, the ring is a square. It's not like there's stuff going on away from the ball. Everybody could see what's going on. And you try to pick your analyst brain and lead them into what they see and how it may manifest itself later in the fight. And then when you get to those aha moments, that's when you go in and you do your call. Now, with golf, is that utter mayhem going on that people don't see behind the scenes in the truck? Because I always think with golf, you know, every other sport virtually, you're calling a game with one ball or one puck or whatever, boxing, it's two guys. With golf, it's a lot of different balls and players in different places and things like that. What's that like for you? Uh, yeah, that's basically 18 football fields happening at once. Um, for us as announcers, you know, doing it on television, it's, you know, you're just taking your cues from your producer and your director is getting you the shots. Now, it's all hell in the truck because you've got a spotter for the producer, especially when we do college golf at Golf Channel, which we've become, you know, that's become a big franchise for us, the men's and women's NCAAs and all these tournaments that we're doing during the course of the year. It's one thing to do a golf tournament and for the producer to look up and say, all right, Tiger Woods second at three, and then we're going to go to Rory's, you know, fourth at the par five eighth, <laughs> whereas opposed to a college golf event where you're looking up and you're like, all right, is that Pearson Cootie or is that Parker Cootie? Ooh. Is this the freshman that transferred in in the portal for Texas or who's this guy and which guy is that on A&M and which guy is this on Oklahoma state and who's this kid from Oregon? That's a whole, that's, that's being in the truck for that as a scene. 
Interesting. Bob Papa, voice of the New York Giants with us on Texans Radio. A couple more for you. All right. So in New York, the football teams are doing well now. Giants, Jets having good seasons so far. Are the football teams king of New York or do the Yankees still have that title? How have things evolved over the last 10, 20 years, Bob? Baseball will always be king in New York. Um, wow. When you get to the dead of winter or in the spring, um, you know, on the on the all talk stations, baseball is always the hottest topic. It is. It's just it is. It's you know, I would say the Yankees are definitely number one in town. Uh, I would say the Mets are second with the Giants, probably a two A. And then you get the Jets and then it becomes the Knicks and the Rangers and everything else kind of falls in the line. And college basketball is huge in New York. College football, you know, I was I was telling some friends I was watching the Georgia-Tennessee game in Florida this weekend. And one of my buddies is a Georgia grad. And uh, and they were all fired up for Florida State, Miami, LSU, Alabama that night. And I'm like, you guys realize in New York, this might get a two rating. Maybe we'll get a two, probably a one five. Nobody cares. And they're like, really? I'm like, it's all about the pros where we are. So, um, you know, I, I would think the Giants are like a two a, a 2A right behind the Mets in the, in the Pantheon, because, you know, the, the Giants and Jets are lucky when they, when they've had these bad seasons, the last five years and things are awful and they're both like almost eliminated by Halloween. Well, as long as the Yankees are making a run and they're in the postseason, it, you know, the Giants and Jets could lose 35 to three each weekend, but it all depends on what the Yankees did that day. And once the Yankees are eliminated, then the football teams lose their cover. Mm, cover. I like that word. Uh, tell me, NFC East, the rest of the way. We just saw the Eagles here last Thursday night. They're the only unbeaten team in the league. We know what the Cowboys are doing. Give me your thoughts on the division moving forward down the stretch here. Uh, well, you know, you always defer to the only team that's undefeated in the league, and Philadelphia is really good. The quarterback has, you know, he's passing every test that they laid out for him in Jalen Hurts because they came into the season with a wait-and-see approach as to whether he's truly going to be their future. Uh, they've added a lot of pieces in free agency and via the trade. But I still think the Cowboys – I think the Cowboys are still going to have to be reckoned with, especially if they wind up adding Odell Beckham Jr. to their team. Their defense is outstanding. You know, Dak was hurt. Cooper Rush held the fort. And then Dak basically had, you know, two extra preseason games playing the Bears and the Lions coming off the thumb injury and then the bye to kind of get up to speed. I still think the Cowboys are a team that's going to be heard from before the season's over. And it wouldn't shock me if Dallas wound up winning the division, even though Philly's beaten them once that was with Cooper rush, that, that Dallas defense is pretty awesome. Bob, thanks so much for the time. We really do appreciate the visit and I look forward to seeing you in the booth on Sunday. Yeah. Have a safe trip up and uh, hopefully this weather holds because man, it's been in the mid to low seventies all week and it is as nice as it gets. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Bob. You got it, Mark. Man, I thought there was, those were some interesting comments from Bob talking about Daniel Jones. I think it, it puts a lot of it in perspective. We watch the game, and we can see things happen. We see open receivers. Hey, why did the quarterback throw this? Why did the quarterback throw that? I mean, it, I thought he put it so very well, and that is, did the receiver run the wrong route to get open, and he's not anticipating him to be there? 
That's a big part of playing that position is that everybody's on the same page and doing what the play call asks for. Now, there's always time for deviation. There's always time to, to change things up. But we, we saw in that Tennessee game, there are at least two or three times where there was, there was not a solid uh, communication um, bond, if you will, between quarterbacks and wide receivers. It, it, it wasn't there. Tennessee backed up. Brandon Cooks runs a little hitch and then goes. Davis throws the out route. And it's, I don't know who's wrong. I don't know. But that can't happen. It happened a little bit later uh, in the game. And I'm trying to remember what route it was. But it happened later in the game, too. A couple times in that game. It happened uh, potentially against the Eagles once I can think of. So you just, you just never know. But you just got to work that much harder to get on the same page. But I thought those were great comments from Dable through Bob Papa about Daniel Jones and how well he is playing uh, and doing things. Even though the numbers aren't gargantuan, he's playing very well for the Giants, and that's going to be a tough match because of his athleticism getting out of the pocket. And by the way, Daniel Jones has always been a mobile, out-of-the-pocket Marcus Mariota type. <laughs> always. Always. Tougher than $2 steak. I never thought he threw it all that well. But you go back and read my draft report, and maybe I'll read it sometime this week. That's what I talked about, his toughness and his running. That's what really uh, is what made him has made him what he is. And they're getting the most out of that. Hopefully not on Sunday, but throughout the rest of the year, sure, why not? But just not on Sunday. All right, we get back. Let's hear from Jerry Hughes. Did a little deep slant with DPC. This will be fun for the Greater Houston product. Jerry Hughes out of Austin High School, Fort Bend ISD represent. That's next on Texas All Access. Man, I love being from H-Town, baby. John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And I love saying that word, Houston. Love that being my home and your home. I know you guys love living in Houston. I know Jerry Hughes is so proud to be from Houston. He spent his career with the Colts and the Bills. But early in his life, he went to Austin High School over in the Fort Bend Independent School District. He was an all-state running back back in the day. Well, he turned himself into one fine defensive end, and now he is plying that trade right here in his hometown of Houston. D.P. Sidhu had a chance to catch up with him for a little deep slant interview of the week. D.P. and Jerry, here we go. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, Jerry Hughes, year 13, off to the best start that you've had the first nine games of your career how does it feel so far for you oh man it feels really good right now you know of course we want to be winning a lot more ball games but you know we got an opportunity to kind of do that this second half of the season so that's what I look forward to doing you had the most sacks that you've ever had through this time I mean what do you think the reason for the sack production that you've had this year has been I got to credit it to the secondary and how well they've been playing you know causing uh quarterbacks to kind of hold the ball a little bit longer has been huge, has been key. It's been allowing me to kind of get off those blocks and really finish my rushes, which is really what we uh, focus on doing. Lovey Smith said that when you're out there, you play like a rookie trying to make a team or a free agent trying to make yeah. a team, that you just have this, this desire to just play and perform at the top level, like you're trying to make the team. Where does that attitude come from for you? I, I think it's just my competitive nature. Anytime you get me to play anything. I mean, football, basketball, checkers, even hopscotch, I want to win. So I'm going to go out there and give it 110%. I mean, my effort's probably going to be unmatched. If there's one thing I'm going to try to do is, you know, really uh, take it to that next level just to see how badly do you want it. But I think also just me flying around trying to do that just to show the young guys that's how we play football. That's, that's how we play Texans football. That's how you play football in this league. you got to be fast and decisive. 
You've got a lot of moves in your arsenal. Lovey's talked about your bull rush, your spin move. Yeah. I mean, at this stage in your career, are you still adding the moves, or is it just fine-tuning what you already have and knowing when to land what move? I would say fine-tuning for the most part. You know, just knowing uh, how to set up your pass rush moves for is really where I'm at right now. Uh, focusing mainly on hand placement and get off in the first half and then second half really closing it in and really just making it all look as one fluid movement so you can't really – tell what I'm doing. I try not to give off too many tells as I'm pass rushing. I mean, it's an art. I like watching all the other guys in the league get after it. And even the guys on this team, they have moves that, you know, I, I haven't seen before. I've been playing on this stage for 13 years. So people are certainly finding new ways to get after the uh, quarterback. And so I like adding new things. I mean, I'm constantly working on my game. Do you bring out those new moves in practice? Like you'll bring them out against the O-line and see oh, yeah. what they think of it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. certainly trying them on LT and uh, – Big Titus. I mean, those two guys are, so are probably, you know, some phenomenal pass blockers. I mean, big guys who move like dancing bears, as we call dancing them on bears. our side. You know what I'm saying? For that size. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Of and course. to be so nimble. Oh, man, it's incredible. So when, anytime I get a one-on-one -on -one opportunity with them, I'm trying it. And then I'm in their ear asking what they saw, what sure. tells did I give if the move wasn't successful. And they're so smart. They actually reciprocate that information, and they're feeding it back to me on how to beat an offensive lineman, which is Cool to have, you know, an offense alignment working with the defense alignment on how to get sacks. So I never thought about the idea of disguising a move. Like you hear about defenses disguising yeah. their coverages, but even as a pass rusher, you try to disguise your moves before you, you know, you may oh, yeah. present one thing and actually do another. Is that part of Absolutely. what you have to do at this Absolutely. stage? Absolutely. Like for me, I like to bull rush, and so I'll like to run at you, and you'll think I'm bull rushing. I'll set it up that way, and then I might spin on you. Mm. Or I might take an inside move quicker. It's just, it all depends on within those first two steps how I can make that move look exactly the same. I mean, that's hard to defend against, oh, too, when you have no idea what's coming. Or you think one thing's coming, you've prepared for it, right. and then it's something else. How about you? You've moved back to Houston, and, uh, you know, you're back in your hometown. You're back with the, the teams that you grew up watching, the food you grew up eating. How has that been for you so oh, far? My God. It's been amazing, honestly, yeah. just to kind of stay in my routine. And, you know, I'm a big routine guy, creature of habit. And so to be able to where I can start something in the off season and continue it, uh, working with my chef, working with the uh, nutritionist team here, oh, it's been phenomenal. I even got an acupuncturist that I'm able to see. So everyone that I kind of put in play to kind of get my body back going for Sunday, it's like nothing has changed. I haven't skipped a beat or anything. It's got to be hard, though, to stay healthy in Houston, I would oh. think. I mean, especially since you know how much good food is out here. It is. It is. What's I mean, your weakness? Tex-Mex. Mexican yeah, food. Course, I mean, okay. it's, it's on every corner. And <laughs> everyone has the best tacos. And I, I, yeah. I'm a sucker for street tacos. Yes. I mean, I just found out carne asada. I feel like I'm saying that right. Carne yeah, asada. carne asada. I used uh -huh. to go just straight steak tacos. I, I didn't know. You branched out a little bit. Carne yeah. asada, that that flavor, that however they prepare that meat. That's your thing. That is my thing on the, on the taco <laughs> for right now. I, I'm I'm freaking hooked right now. Do you have to be super healthy? Like you're 13 in the oh, league. Yeah. Like I mean, do you have to clean up your diet a lot, oh, or can you? Do you have like a little wiggle room as a defensive I, lineman? I have a little wiggle room just because it's so humid here, so we're able to kind of sweat, sweat it out. off. Right, right. Yes, but I yes, mean, yes, yes. coming off of Halloween where the kids went trick or treating, and oh, then yeah. as they like to say, they got to pay dad taxes. Of course. So right. you know, I take a nice little percentage of that candy. Well, what's, what's candy? What's the candy you're taking? Oh, I'm taking the peanut M and M's, the Reese's. Okay. They for some reason my kids don't like chocolate. So oh, no. They're right. Which oh, is so I mean, weird. no, no, for you, because oh, no. you're going to be eating most of it, I, I would love assume. It. I, love I love it. The too. one thing I give back to them is the freaking Snickers. You can have that. <laughs> you can have the caramel inside. Anything else? Really? That tax pay up. 
Okay, so you're back in Houston. Did I read somewhere that, okay, so when the Texans were first formed, you were probably, what, high school? Yeah. Did I read somewhere that you were, you voted as one of the potential names? Because I voted in that, too. I did, yeah. What did you vote for? Oh, I think at the time they had, like, a space-themed team. I know they had the Roughnecks, the Texans. I think there was one more that had to. The Toros. I voted for the Toros. Okay. I think I went with the space theme. It was a space one It was something with, like, a space theme, either, like, a spaceship or something. But I went with the space theme because I figured we'd keep it all space. yeah. Yeah, Comets, rockets, astros. And so and I was just thinking, uh, football team. yeah, yeah, I was, I was just thinking that would do. But I mean, <laughs> I, I like Texans because, you know, it just branches out. And now we get a wider range of fans. You get everybody. You get, you get everybody, everybody in the Texas. state, right? Yeah. You can't not do that, right? All right. So a few years back when Brian Cushing used to play here, he was from Jersey. And I asked him what the most prototypical Jersey thing about him was. Yeah. But then I thought, what about you? Like growing Ooh. up in Texas, what's the most Texas or most, I should say most Houston thing about you? Because I think Texas is different in different parts. What's the most Houston thing about you? I was going to say probably my love for just Mexican food. Okay. In like seven days of, of the week. I feel like everyone here in Texas, we could probably do that with a nice little frozen mark. You know, I, I, feel, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's something that is probably very Texan of us. Like okay. We could probably eat that seven days of the week. That might be it. Other than that, probably I'm used to seeing like horses on the highways and roads. So that, that doesn't really surprise me. Versus <laughs> Especially like, during this, rodeo time. Right, yeah, it's like right. no big deal. Right? No, no. It's like someone's riding their horse down like a freaking highway. We're like, oh. Well, that's just, it's, it's just, that's, just a, that, that, that's a normal day in Texas, right? Anywhere else, you probably think there's like an Look Amish twice. parade or something like that going on. But yeah, certainly. Yeah. I feel like Houston has its own culture between yeah. the music and the scene and everything like that. Oh, yeah. and, and so like now that you're back, how much has it changed since when oh, you were here as a kid? Tremendously. Yeah. Tremendously. Uh, I love how the city is embracing the culture. I mean, we, we had Bum B performing at our halftime. And I know, that's my crazy. family was excited. They, they were going crazy up. In the little suite, having a good time. And Slim Thug, a.k.a. Big Slim, my also. Mom, yeah. My mom's partying, rocking out, throwing up her Houston <laughs> Texan sign. I'm just like, well, this is amazing. And, and it's great to see for the city. It's great that we have, you know, those music moguls that, that are able to come back and perform and be a part of that because they are Houston and we love them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jerry, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you. Oh. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Always glad to be here. He is absolutely tearing it up, rushing the passer this year. I think Jerry Hughes has been great for the Texans, and hopefully uh, Jerry feels that same love going back the other way. He has been incredible uh, for this team and provides pass rush, and he'll be facing a couple of good ones in Andrew Thomas, and don't know if it's going to be Tyree Phillips or Evan Neal, depending on Evan Neal's availability. So we'll keep an eye on that. But Jerry Hughes rushing the edge has been a problem for Every offensive tackle he has faced this year and looking for more of that on Sunday against Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. Speaking of the Giants, we do a little in the lab that is gigantic. Well, not in length and size and all that, but just it's a I would say it's a typical in the lab, like a crazy, funky, typical in the lab. Yeah, that's next on Texas All Access. We got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm John Harris, football all sideline reporter. It's time for the Schlumberger Stats Challenge brought to you by our friends at Schlumberger. And the Stats Challenge number is 85. Now, I'll tell you what that number relates to because it relates to somebody that we are going to discuss in just about 15 seconds right here within the lab with my man, Drew Doherty. Very interesting topic that we stumbled upon. And you'll see what 85 means in just a second. 
That's right. It's in the lab time. Drew Doherty, John Harris, and Mark Vandermeer is over there playing darts and screwing around. So, John, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, the other day, um, I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, whenever our, our buddy Chris Moore came in here, mm-hmm. I had an interview with uh, Chris. Mark and I usually get a player on Tuesday while you guys do the player show. And Chris walked in, and he saw the dart boys. Oh, you mind if I throw a dart? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So we have about four darts five darts we used to have like six or nine they've all got broken or yeah. thrown whatever he comes in and he throws two bullseyes of the four and then the other two are just around the bullseye and i'm like you're no longer and you, you're no longer invited <laughs> you, you throw like that <laughs> where do you play where, where do you how, where do you get good at darts i don't know say? I, probably back in college i would imagine yeah um he said he hadn't played in a while but uh yeah he you know mark and i pretty solid team we took on our video team jared huff uh, R.I.P. and uh, Tyler Sudarth. Mm-hmm. We would take those two on each, probably each day. It got to be a battle during Multiple the summer for today. sure before training camp. And so darts were a pretty big deal. And then he just came in here and Chris Morris just started throwing. He's throwing darts at Dagum Bullseye. I'm like, no, 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 man, you're 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 out of here. You're a professional athlete. You're too good for us. Yeah. Believe it or not, I used to be good at darts about 20 years ago. Not anymore. I haven't played, but uh, I was okay. I could handle my business. You just said... R.I.P. about Jared Huff, and Jared Huff did not die. Jared Huff edits a lot of the videos and puts together a lot of the videos that you see on HoustonTexans.com. He just he's spending his last week with us. He's got a new job, so yeah, congrats to Huffy. We're gonna miss Huffy. He's a good dude, good strong Aggie, and yes. uh, he's moving on, leaving the Texans. Okay, you are expecting us to talk about A and then B, but we're doing Q today. Oh, because okay. we're just gonna go. Full on in the lab. Okay. Going to be dorky. It's going to be like a a March version or a June version of in the lab. It's always cool. And it was spawned a week or so ago when I was doing Texans All Access with DP and Mark. And you know how they are. I, I brought up a great little tangent idea in the middle of a show, but it was a little too... It wasn't enough mainstream for them. Gotcha. However, we were talking about trading and trades. Mm-hmm. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can trade... For any AFC South player that's not a quarterback that is retired all time, and you can add him to this roster at his peak, the Texans roster, which guy are you trading for? So you can't get Peyton Manning. Or Steve McNair. Or Andrew Luck. But any other position, you can add him to this Texans roster. So it's 2002 through now, basically, but retired players. Who would you add, John Harris? And it's got to be a retired player. Has to be retired because I would add Dwight Freeney. I want a pass rush. I want more guys getting after the the quarterback. Now, there's other positions you could add that would possibly help as well. Well, certainly would help. But that's where I would go to have a constant. This guy might get two, three sacks per game off of you if you're not careful. That's who I would get. I would add Dwight Freeney to this roster to up – the ante, help Jerry Hughes out, help Grenard out, who's not in, and get after the quarterback and make things a little dicier on opposing offenses. Who would you add? Because the clear answer is you'd add Peyton Manning. He's the best quarterback. He's a Hall of Famer. He's yeah, one of the best ever. But, That's not but you're not, we're not adding a quarterback. Well, you and I are kind of thinking along the same lines, or I should say line. Mm-hmm. But I would probably go inside. Okay. And one of the guys that always frustrated me when I watched him. And I think he's retired. I don't know. I haven't seen him anywhere. I think he's yes, retired. Marcus Stroud is retired. No. 
Jarrell Casey. That's a good one, yes. He was the Titans' version of of J.J. Because he was an inside-outside guy. He didn't always go out to defensive end, like in a 4-3, all the way outside. But from five technique to five technique, just outside the tackle on both sides, all the way across, he could could impact the play. Pain in the ass. Absolute pain in the ass. And I loved watching him play because he was not – 330 pounds. He wasn't just doing sheer size. He had every combination of quickness, hands, playmaking ability. He had it all. And he played for some really bad Titans teams. I was going to say, man, he was there during the Mettenberger years, the the revolving door before and after Mettenberger. Yeah. Those those teams, really tough. But when he... I I hated it at the end of hit for him because they finally had something by 17, 16, 17, 18. And he was kind of at the back end of his career at that point. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like Jarrell Casey for the Titans was a guy that impacted everything. It was really hard to run against him, especially if you ran away from him because he had an, he had an uncanny knack of twisting his body, contorting his body to get in between zone pulling linemen and then get down the line of scrimmage quickly and make a play on a running back. He was really tough. But I think we're both at the same point. And it, and it kind of leads, Drew, to a discussion that I know people have, have asked us, but they're, they're already thinking about, like, what do you do when you come to the 2023 draft? And there are some elite defensive linemen in this draft. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Texans haven't gotten out of Davis what they've wanted to get out of Davis. And there are some really good quarterbacks in this particular draft. But I think you can see where you and I are going, and that is if this defense could hold up better against the run. And it's funny because I picked an interior defensive lineman, and you picked a defensive end. Who have we been missing? Jonathan Grenard yep. and Malik Collins. Yep. It's not all on two guys to stop the run. But we weren't beefy up front as it, as it was. But – with those two guys in the lineup, they just gave you that much more against the run. Now, it wasn't going to be perfect with them, and those two guys played in the game against Chicago, and Khalil Herbert went absolutely crazy against yeah. you, a backup running back. So it hasn't been perfect with them, but it certainly has not been good at all without them. So we're thinking definitely along the same lines at that front seven in particular, those two. I thought about linebackers, and I was kind of going back in my mind, like what linebackers would I want D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans would be a good one. The other one that I would want is a healthy Cushing. Yeah. I'd want a healthy Cushing. If we had a healthy Cushing on this defense and he was the guy he was the guy in charge and he was running things, he brought oomph. He was incredibly explosive and twitchy. Before the injury, I'd take Cushing all day, every day. So you put those three guys, Freeney, Casey, Cushing on this defense, and things are changed exponentially. The 2009 and 2011 seasons for Brian Cushing, some of the best yes. just overall seasons by any player, regardless of side of the ball, position, absolutely in the history of this franchise. He was outstanding both. He was a pro bowler in 09. Should have gotten into the pro bowl in 11, but you know, understandably, there were probably some lingering stuff or lingering ideas about him and who he was and all that that kept him from getting in in 11, but he was out. He was the heart and soul of that, that 2011 team. He was the MVP. I mean, his teammates voted him the MVP of yeah. the 2011 team, which might, I would say, probably be the best team of all time, uh, Texans-wise. When you you emphasized the, the letter Q, and I was like, 
when you asked your question, I was like, oh, I think I know where Drew's going with this. But then you said retired players. Yeah. And because Q, I was thinking of Quentin Nelson um, <laughs> for, for the Colts. Not that I would take him right now because I think our interior. I didn't want to go C because that's too. Yeah, I don't know. You just picked letter Q, and I thought that's where you were kind of. probably done L or um, M. Or... But if you could pick a current AFC South player, not Texan, mm. a current non-quarterback current AFC Jeffrey South Simmons. player. Jeffrey Simmons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's Simmons is a guy. Slam dunk. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Simmons he's, is a slam dunk. He's pretty easy for me. That's, that's who I'd go with. And here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is kind of why I've had this debate because on my podcast, Locked on NFL Draft, I've been talking about this with the guys and the two other guys I'm on when I, I had presented kind of like a top five draft scenario. And in that scenario for the Texans, I just, you know, I picked Will Anderson Jr. and Jalen Carter from out of Ooh. Georgia. Boy, and that'd be something if you got Jalen Carter is he Carter Jeffrey Simmons. that long? Well, because I think the when Browns, I, when I, did, I think the Browns when I did this, mid- the Browns were at number four, I, so I it was one, and f- it was two and four. I think I they'll picking. get out of the top ten even. No, he won't get out of the top four. And, and the thing and is, I'm saying I think the Browns will. I think they're going to win. Yeah, enough. I think the Browns will start to win a few games. Um, I think the Browns are going to end up being right where they were last year, 13, 13 through fifteen. Yeah. I think that's where they're going to end up. Yeah. Um, and so I, you're not going to get Carter at that point. But watching him this week against Tennessee, he had been banged up in the game against uh, Oregon at the beginning of the year. And then he was kind of in and out. And then he finally missed a couple games. He came back for, I think it was, I'm trying to think who Georgia played before Tennessee, but he's back for that game. Just wrecking shop in the uh, end oh, zone. Oh, against, uh, against Florida in the, in the cocktail party. But then against Tennessee, he just he showed it all. Took, I mean, it took, it, he stopped the game. It took like forty five minutes for them to correct that play to figure out was right. it a safety? Was it a, you know? Like, I mean, I he mean, just lifted that dude up yeah. and then forklifted him at the end and then got rid of him and then tackled. It should have been a safety, but either way, yeah. Jalen Carter, you start thinking about his defense, and it's like I remember for so long watching the Colts in this division. You're like, man, we need a Freeney and a Mathis, man. We need a Freeney and a Mathis, and then we go get Mario Williams, and they, who Mario Williams was not either one of those guys, but. You found somebody that could impact the game from the edge. And you went you got J.J. Watt, who could impact the game from the edge and the inside. You start looking around the division, and how do you win the division? Well, you want to go find one of those. You're not going to find Derrick Henry. Right. You're just not. You're not going to find Derrick Henry, but you've got Damian Pierce, which is a, you know, you didn't go out and get an, an F-350. You know, you went out and found, you know, a tank, which is a little different. But you can't find a Jeffrey Simmons, and it's, his name is Jalen Carter. Mm. Now, there aren't plenty, there aren't many of them. But you could go out and find a guy like Jeffrey Simmons. You think about every single game that Simmons has played for the Titans against the Texans. He's found a way to impact that game. He's an absolute monster. John. He's a monster. All week long leading up to that Titans game, I was looking at the injury report. No Ryan Tannehill. Yes. No Jeffrey Simmons. Wednesday. Sweet. Same thing on Thursday. And then both those guys are questionable. And I think they wound up ruling Tannehill out on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. On Friday questionable and I was like oh there's a chance and I was much I didn't really care as much about Tannehill I cared about Jeffrey Simmons and he wound up playing and he was basically a grenade and when I you you throw that grenade in the middle of your offensive line bad stuff happens when on Friday I was scouring the Twitters and as I scoured I thought I found a video I can't remember who posted I think it may have been Paul Kaharski posted a video in the locker room of Simmons talking about whether he was going to play or not and he said one thing, and my heart dropped. He was like, well, I feel better than I did last Sunday. And I went, oh, oh no. Man, yeah. And the previous Sunday, he played against the Colts, and he got banged up in that game. And I thought, oh, he's going to play. And then when and he, he plays, did. he's just he's outraged. So when you 
you get in a spot where you're trying to improve your team, you're like, okay, what do other teams have? You know, it's like AFC South Envy. What do they have that that we'd like to get? Well, I'd like that guy. Yeah. And Jalen Carter is that guy from Georgia. Now, there might be some other things that happen in draft, and we'll see where it all ends up. We're only halfway through the year. But at the mock that I was doing at that time, the Texans were two and the Browns were four. And so you get to the top four. And so I went Will Anderson and Jalen Carter with that, thinking, what's our biggest, biggest, biggest need? Well, it's to be better defensively. Sure. And those are the two I came up with. And the two guys kind of said, nah, man, I think you need to go quarterback, wide receiver. And I was like, I don't know if I can make a case for a wide receiver at four, but I got their point. I mean, I understand, um, you know, you've got to get better quarterback, quarterback play. And Davis Mills has got nine games to, to play better at quarterback, and hopefully mm-hmm. he'll do that. Um, he's shown some signs of playing better against Las Vegas uh, early in the Philadelphia game. He's got to continue that and get consistent with it. Um, or they're going to be, you know, some people that are going to be clamoring for that quarterback in the top whatever, wherever the Texans end up picking. But, you know, that's a discussion down the road. But I find it interesting that Simmons was the guy that you and I, and I bet if we brought Mark and he'd say the same thing. Yeah. The, I would think Simmons would be the one that everybody would want for this Texans team. Okay, a few little tangents that come up off of our conversation that you brought up. Um, Brian Cushing, saw him on Saturday. He's doing well. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's got uh, – shockingly he's got athletic young children yeah who very uh, very good at flag football mm-hmm. and so i was chit and chat with him because my one of my sons is playing flag football the other one just finished up his seven on seven season he, he made the all-star team. nice congratulations robert. Robert. robert yes proud of him yeah, but proud of both but brian cushing is doing well looks good looks like he goes suit up and, <laughs> and wreak some havoc yep. jadevion Clowney was in town that the browns had a bye last week yep. and his son's team was playing before hours. So Joe Devion's doing well. Got a chance to say hello to him. And then, hey, I was voting yesterday. And I saw Owen Daniels. He was nice. voting ahead of me. So he did ah. his civic duty. And, you know, we uh, we fist bumped on the way out. Don't, yeah. don't, don't want to do too much talking in the polling places because yeah. you know how people can be. So uh, didn't say too much. Yes, we know how people can be at voting places. Yes. And then on top of that, you bring up Jarrell Casey. Mm-hmm. He was a 2011 draft pick. Yes, he was. On this show, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, we did a redraft of 2011 for the Texans. And in that redraft, the Texans chose J.J. Watt, Justin Houston, oh. Jarrell Casey, yeah. Richard Sherman, and Chris Harris, amongst That's others. Right. Wow, what a group that was. And Oh, by the way, 85. Jarrell Casey's... TFL number in his career. We could use a few of those this week against the Giants, against Saquon Barkley for sure. Big thanks to everybody on the show, to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.